Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. So good to be here. Uh, Every time I come out, it's in the fall. And so uh, my only experience of Ohio is in the fall. And uh, it's special. It's Ohio is, I would move to Ohio if it was the fall all the time. Uh, but from what I hear, there's, there's a winter coming here. And so uh, I'll be in California. But, um, but it, is, it is beautiful out here and so good to be with you guys. Just love being out here with family and, and the whole crew. Steve and Cindy, we just love you guys. And I uh, just so appreciate the leadership. Um, I, for those who don't know, introduced, uh, I uh, am Banning. I pastor a church in Sacramento. Uh, Jesus culture and uh, came out of Reading. Uh, it's crazy. I, I, I moved, we moved nine and a half years ago. I was on staff at Bethel Church for 18 years, uh, where I personally mentored a young man named Bill Johnson. And um, this took, uh, when I was there, I was actually, I came on staff, I was an intern when Bill became the pastor, and I just saw a lot of potential in him. And so just began to pour my life into him. And uh, so really, really encouraged all the God's done through him. Then shortly after him, another man came named Chris Valentin. I poured into him. I've just been mentoring these guys for a long time and so proud of them. But I was on staff at Bethel. I was actually born and raised in Reading. There's probably three people at Bethel that can say that, but I was one of them, born and raised Reading, California. And I was going to Bethel before Bill came when I was a senior in high school and then became an intern and then was on staff for 18 years, like I mentioned, Jesus culture and all that stuff. And we've been down there in Sacramento now in the capital of California. Will you believe, listen, I know you're in Ohio, but you will, will you believe with me for California? Will you believe with me for revival in California and all that God wants to do? I know y'all probably think we're crazy and that there's some earthquake that's gonna just you know wipe out California, but I'm believing God for revival in California. So um, it's, it's been really, really a joy. I, um, I'm going to jump in tonight. Uh, Steve, I saw, um, uh, when I came into the sanctuary tonight, I saw the Lord outside, just out over the door of the sanctuary. He was, he was um, hanging up with like uh, nails. He was hanging up a sign that said, holiness under the Lord. And, um, and it was like, a, it wasn't like a flashy sign. It wasn't like lights. It was, uh, it was one of those signs that you would find at like a fair. Do you know the ones where they kind of like, uh, it's made out of wood and they'll kind of, uh, um, kind of sketch it out. And it was, it was simple, but it just said holiness under the Lord. And I, I just want to say this. I, I, I really feel like there is something uh, that the Lord's about to do. Um, I, I just heard the thing that what's it look like for a people to be truly sanctified? And I, I think there's a, I saw a whole, I saw a revelation coming around holiness for you as well. Like uh, uh, I just saw the Lord really beginning to give you fresh and deep revelation around holiness and around what it really looks like for people to really be sanctified and holy. I saw songs coming out of this place that had to do with holiness. That girl that was up here tonight playing guitar. Is she here right now? Did, did, she just led worship and left? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, there's a sermon in the service too, worship leaders. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, there's other things that happen at church besides worship, right? Are you tracking? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I actually, you know what? Can I just stretch your hands out? What's your name? Allison. <laughs> Look, at she's probably... Allison, I, I saw, uh, uh, the Lord told me that you're a hesitant songwriter. And that he really, he's, a, he's about to, uh, 
He's about, I, I actually saw you walking by like, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen those movies. It's kind of like a movie scene where there's a piece of paper and a, and a pen on a kind of a table and you kept walking by it, looking at it, walking, walk, and then walking by it again, walking by it again, walking by it again. And the Lord just said, it's just time to sit down and write. And uh, I just saw real confidence and a boldness in you when it came to songwriting. I just believe there is something inside of you that needs to come out in songs. And, and, and you, can, you can weigh this if you want, but I just saw a hesitancy around it. But the Lord just said, listen, don't be hesitant. Just go in. And I, I saw you writing the songs that were good and writing songs that weren't good. And I saw you kind of experimenting with it as well and just leaning in. I saw that there'd be songs that just come from prophetic times, really pay attention, like really go where you need to go in just kind of the prophetic moments before the Lord. And I saw there's just these songs being birthed. But I actually saw you and others at this place that there was going to be a whole, I, I just see a whole movement of holiness. I don't fully know what it entails, but I just believe that God is going to put on display this church of what it looks like for a people to be sanctified under the Lord and to really holiness under the Lord. But I, I saw that songs were going to be a really important part of it and you and others are going to begin to write songs that are really going to touch the world so we just bless you and I just I just ask for real strength and courage courage you know you need, you need courage I just saw courage coming in you as a songwriter real boldness to uh to write things and to sing things and to, and to kind of take a risk on things I saw you taking a risk on things and and the Lord I just saw the Lord just so pleased with it and so happy and so proud and and just cheering you on. So we just bless you with that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, now if you want to leave and not be in my sermon, feel free since that's where you were headed. If you were headed home, unbelievable. This is. <laughs> I don't want to belabor this point, but Steve, I'm telling you, I saw like revelation. I just saw like a real like. Uh, like a gift of revelation or like just, I saw an outpouring revelation in the house. I think some of it has to do with holiness, but I just feel like there's a whole nother uh, kind of level of revelation coming and that the Lord is gonna birth things here um, that, that may be seeds that, I, I, how would I say this? Um, I saw, um, you know, there are seed farmers I mean, you may know this. Uh, there's a guy that we know in California. He's a seed farmer. He doesn't even, he just, he, they, they grow seeds and give seeds. And I almost saw like this house is like a seed farm. It's almost like a, like revelation that's coming in, in, and then those seeds are going out. It's not even necessarily like, I don't know how to describe that. Like there's just seed farmers, people that, that there's just, what they do is do seeds and they give it and people are planting those seeds and they're seeing a massive harvest and things like that. But I just saw like a seed farmer anointing on you and on this house. And I just saw that there's another gear. There's another level. There's another revelation. There's something with that thing. So we just bless that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, hey, listen, tonight, can I, um, it's always interesting when you travel and speak, if you travel and speak, because I want to be a, bring a word and I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you and I want to fire you up for Jesus and all that. But can I just be pastoral tonight for you? Is that all right? Um, I, I actually wasn't going to even speak this until I got into worship tonight, but I, I'm actually going to talk to you about, uh, I, I want to recruit fathers and mothers tonight is what I want to do. But before I get into this message, I just want to give you two quick things that are kind of foundational for me. One is this, the Bible calls you to bear fruit. And he, but he calls you to bear fruit that remains. John 15 is very clear that you're called to bear fruit. You're called to bear a lot of fruit, but you're called to bear fruit that remains or fruit that lasts. And in the context of John 15, it's sitting, that passage is sitting nestled in between love one another. The command is to love one another. 
I am convinced that fruit that remains is people. I'm convinced that the greatest thing you can, greatest thing you can do is love God. I'm going to say a statement that, but I, I, that the greatest thing you can invest your life in is people, because ultimately it's people that are fruit that remains. I actually believe if you look at the life of Paul, when Paul says that he was a master builder, I also think it is in the context of people in that passage. And that Paul, when he was describing a master building, he was talking about the living stones that are being formed and molded and put together. And so you have a choice in your life where you invest it. I live, with a, I live with a soberness that I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and realize that I spent my life, my resources, my time, my energy, my encouragement, my words, that I spent my life on things that don't matter or aren't going to last. I want to spend my life on what's going to remain and what's going to last. And I think the greatest thing you can do with your life is go invested and poured into the lives of others. First thing. Second thing is this, is I very much believe there needs to be a revival of discipleship. Like one of the things that manifested in this past season was the lack of maturity. And that really believers aren't quite as deeply rooted as we thought maybe they were. That maybe they're showing up every week in church but this is what Paul talks about when he talks about maturing in Ephesians 4 is, is that he said, listen, we don't want you to be a child, a baby who's tossed all around anytime winds of doctrine come, belief systems, but that you would be mature. <laughs> and, and, and it's this concept of that we saw at some level, and this isn't a I believe this last season was both both reveal, uh, uh, it revealed and invited. It was a season of revealing where the Lord was revealing the lack of maturity and it was a season of invitation to say, you've got to go deeper in the area of maturity. You've got to have, you can't just get tossed around every time a storm comes. But I believe that the lack of maturity is connected to not just what's, like, we like to talk about the pulpit a lot. We like to talk about, well, you need to be doing this more for the pulpit. This is a discipleship issue that we have got to be discipling people. But here's what, here's my, here's what I wanna say about discipleship. Discipleship is way more family than it is classroom. Sometimes we have a concept that discipleship is like a classroom concept. It's a professor with students sharing his knowledge. No, listen, discipleship throughout scripture is a family concept. Discipleship looks way more like family than it does, uh, than it does the Western education system. And so, so as I even talk to you today about, I, I, I really do, I'm here to recruit fathers and mothers. These two things are foundational for me. The greatest thing you'll ever do with your life is invested in others. It, it, it will be the fruit that remains. But the second thing is this, is that discipleship, which is a, a great need in this hour, is actually more family-based than it is classroom-based or, or, or education-based. Are you with me on that? If you were to ask me, like, at my core, what I'm passionate about, I want to see revival. I mean, the Lord just wrecked me early on when Bill showed up to Bethel and I didn't even know about revival. And he just, both Bill and Lou Engel both kind of like, kind of pulled back the curtain and showed me why I was alive. I want to see God move in our day. I want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want to see cities saved and transformed. I want to see a whole generation awakened by the love and power of God. I want to see a harvest come in. I want, I want to see an outpouring. I want to see revival. But because of my passion for revival, uh, I have a deep passion for the local church. <laughs> 
Because I believe that the local church is the vehicle, John Arnott said this one time, that this revival is a local church revival. I believe that the local church is the vehicle through which the Lord uh, uh, really in the cities uh, brings revival and moves of God. But one of the things that we saw in this past season is that there is, there is divisions in the world that manifested in the church. We, we know there are divisions in the world, we know this. There, there are socioeconomic divisions. There are gender divisions. <laughs> there's geographic divisions. But there's, there's also generational divisions. And, and, I, and I would probably say that the generational, we, there's race divisions. But I would probably say that the generational division seems to be the one that goes across all of those lines. In the race issue, in the socioeconomic issue, in, in all of these issues, that the, the generations one seems to go across the line. And, and I believe that, there, that there's got to be something that gets in the church that says this. There may be division in the world, but there will not be division in this house. That there may be, div there may be division out there. And, and we, we haven't even realized it, but we've kind of let it creep in. And my concern is this, because, because I want to see the, the church We'll just talk a little. I want to see the local churches effective in the call and mandate that God has put on them to impact their city. I'm telling you right now, one of the ways, one of the division comes in and causes us to be ineffective in what God's called us to. That, that one of the quickest ways to actually be, be ineffective and what God's called you to in your mandate as a, as a church is the issue of division. I want to um, I I read this to you, uh, Exodus chapter 17. And just hang with me for a little bit, because ultimately I'm going to talk to people 40 and up, and then I'm also going to, everybody under 40 is going to get something out of this as well. But I actually really feel a mandate recently that we have got to call the older generation to step into mothering and fathering that your mandate is to be spiritual mothers and fathers in the house of God, and that we are to go to war against the division that has manifested, and that where God is trying to take us is going to take a unity amongst the generations to fully step into what he's called us to in revival. Are you with me on this? Exodus chapter 17 is an important passage because it's the first mention of Joshua. But when the, when the children of Israel left Egypt, you know, this million plus strong uh, people coming out. Uh, when they left Egypt, they didn't just leave Egypt, they left Egypt with a ton of gold. When they left, the Egyptians were giving them all this gold. So all of a sudden you've got this small nation, millions, million plus nation, walking through the wilderness with a ton of cash. And so there would be little nations that would kind of come and try to pick fights with them because they were trying to get some of that gold. And this is the story of the Amalekites are coming to go to war against the Israelites. And Joshua, if you grew up in church at all, you know this passage where Joshua, where Moses goes up on the hill with the, puts his hands up. But Moses calls Joshua, first mention of Joshua, and says, I want you to go down and fight the Amalekites. I want you to read this story. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, do you have your Bibles? Get them out. If you don't have your Bible, look around. See somebody who has a Bible. They're a Christian. Sit next to them. Read theirs. No, that's not right. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 is this. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Victory for the Israelites was connected. Victory for the Israelites was dependent upon the connection between Moses and Joshua. Moses has the rod of God, which speaks of authority, and he goes to the top of the mountain. When Joshua has the sword, goes to the valley and begins to fight. But when Moses began to grow weary and, and, and was out of position, Joshua began to lose. Jo Joshua, Joshua didn't all of a sudden lose his skill set. Joshua didn't all of a sudden lose energy. But there was a disconnect because Moses was no longer in position. Wesley says in this passage in his commentary that, that the victory for the Israelites were more dependent on the hands of Moses than on Joshua. I, I, know, that, I know that for so many people, we've preached this young people that, that and listen, we, we have to go after young people. We have to go after young families. We've got to go after young adults. Like your church is going to be dying if you can't go after that. But the reality is this. We've always said it's young people that are key to revival. I actually believe it's the older generation. I actually believe it's the older generation strengthened and in the right position and the younger generation aligned with them that actually sees victory. I think, in fact, when, when the Israelites were losing, God did not send reinforcements to Joshua. He sent reinforcements to Moses because Moses was the key. He was the one that had the rod of God in his hand. And I just want to say to, I'm just going to, I don't know where the older generation starts and ends. It, whenever, you know, when I was in my 30s, it was anybody a year older than me. So I was like 33. I'm like, if you're 34 and up, just raise your hand. God wants to use you. He's an older, you know. But now that I'm 46, I'm having a harder time acting like I'm part of the younger generation. But, but, but just 40 and up, I just want to say this. I believe that you are key to revival in our cities. And I believe that you have to be in the right position, strengthened if we're going to see victory happen. This is the model. This is the model we see throughout Scripture. It is Moses with Joshua that go into the promised land. It, it, is, it is Elijah with Elisha that sees Jezebel dethroned, the double portion miracles. It is, it is Mordecai with Esther that saved nations. I believe this all in my heart, that the model of the church is this, Mordecai's fathering Esther's save nations. The story of Esther is not just about Esther. The, the story of, the, the book ends about Mordecai. I understand they named it Esther, but the book is just about Mordecai, as much about Mordecai as it about Esther. And it is about the connection of those two. That together, Mordecai fathering Esther saved a nation. We'll talk about this a little bit. It's, it's Barnabas pointing to Paul, and it's Paul walking with Timothy that, that sees the New Testament church planted. This is the model you see throughout Scripture. It is the generations working together. But here's why I would challenge the older generation. 
Because we know the last, the last verse in, in the Old Testament, Malachi, that he's going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, to, to the children, the hearts of the children, the fathers, lest he come and strike the land with a curse. But here's, here's what I believe. It is first the hearts of the fathers that turn. I believe it's first the hearts of fathers and mothers that have to turn and move towards sons and daughters. That the responsibility really does rest on our lives to say whatever division may be in the world, it will not be in the house of God. And we will be a people that go to war against disunity. And we will be a people that move towards the younger generation. Because the greatest thing I'll ever do with my life is invest it in sons and daughters. Fruit that remains is sons and daughters. And that discipleship, true discipleship, is not me sitting with you over coffee and giving you all the information I have. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm not opposed to it. It is, it is me walking with you. The reality is, is for the older generation and younger generation, you, I, I spent, listen, I, I spent most of our Jesus culture years, I spent calling young people to honor, to submit, to follow the older generation. One of the things that has actually grieved my heart in this past season is the dishonor that's come from the younger generation to the older generation. I know we joke about okay boomer and all of this type of stuff, but it's actually grieved my heart. So, so you gotta hear me, older generation, I, I, I spent most of my life calling young people I want to challenge you, older generation, you have what the younger generation needs. You may, you may not know it, but you have it. And I'm going I'm to tell you what you have, but you have it, and you've got to move towards them. I believe we have to see in churches that fathers and mothers who are activated, engaged, and actively moving towards the younger generation. See, here's what we know, and we see this throughout Scripture. There is great strength and blessing that comes when the generations are connected. See, the older generation, you have, I'll just go through this real quick, but the older generation, one of the things that we're called to provide is covering. We have a younger generation that is getting so beat up in the world because they lack covering. Do you know that Mordecai, there's a great passage, Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai, is the, he's the cousin, but he's the adoptive father of Esther who lost her parents. She gets ready. She goes into the, to, to the court of the, uh, of the king to get ready. Nine months of preparation before she goes before the king to see if, that's, if she's the one that he wants. And there's a passage, listen to this, listen to this verse, Esther 2.11. And every day... Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Uh, this is the picture I, I want you to see, that, that there's something about my responsibility is to cover you. And so Mordecai's just out front every day, he's just pacing. And every time somebody would come out, he'd be like, hey, how's Esther doing? Can you tell me how Esther's doing? And they'd go back in and go, man, Mordecai is just out there. He's just pacing. Every time I go out, he's just out front pacing. 
and he's asking about how you're doing. There was, this, there was this covering. Paul would do this with Timothy. He would say, I need you to know that you are in my prayers night and day. Without ceasing, I am bringing you before the Lord. You are covered. One of the things that I... My, I, uh, I, I cry at certain movies, mainly movies that have to do with loyalty or people laying their lives down or whatever else. So military movies just get me. I don't even know why. And, uh, um, and there's a scene in Black Hawk Down that gets me every single time. There's a scene in Black Hawk Down when one of the Black Hawks, the helicopters, gets shot down. And it's, you know, all of a sudden this neighborhood that's run by this warlord and the special forces guys can't get to it yet. And, and the pilot gets captured. His name's Mike Durant. He gets captured. They don't know where he is, but they know he's alive. He's being held in one of these houses. But, but although they can't get to him at night, they just there's a scene where this helicopter flies over this neighborhood, just circles it. And over the, over the loudspeaker, they're just going, Mike Durant, we will not leave you behind. Mike Durant, we will not leave you behind. Every time I'm like, <laughs> we're coming, Mike. Like I, I just, it's that, it's that thing that just says, you are not alone. You are not on your own. We are with you and we will not leave you behind. I want to tell you, it's a great privilege and honor of my life to be able to cover my own kids. My son, he's 17. He was becoming a teenager throughout his teenage years. The one thing I have tried to let him know is this. Son, I don't know. I don't know everything that you're going to walk through. I don't know everything you're going to face. I don't know what temptations are going to come your way. I don't know what problems or I don't know what school or friends. I don't know what you're going to walk through. But just understand this. You will not be alone as you walk through it. I don't know everything you're going to face. I just, but I need you to know this. Whatever you face, you will not be facing it by yourself. I am with you and I am praying for you and I am covering you and I am walking with you. Older generation, it is our responsibility, it is our privilege to move towards the younger generation and to let them know that. There's, we, we provide covering, but the second thing is this, is, is we provide wisdom. There's a verse, Moses, that says this, Deuteronomy 34, 9, it says, Now Joshua was the son of Nun. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. Joshua was going to need wisdom to do what God had called him to do. And the way that Joshua got wisdom was Moses drew close enough to him to lay hands on him and impart. Proverbs says this, he who walks with the wise will himself be wise. See, see part of our job as fathers and mothers isn't, um, okay, listen, I love all of you, so you don't know me enough, but I love all of you. Part of my concern this past season it's fathers and mothers have decided to rant and vent rather than walk and give wisdom. 
Our, our job is not just to be frustrated with the younger generation and how dumb they are and how could they do this and what's going on with this and how can you vote with that and how can you think that and, and, then, and then to post it on, and to post it on Facebook. I look at a lot of fathers and mothers, and I'm like, dude, if you would just put the energy you put into Facebook into walking with some young people. And then, by the way, if you are wanting young people to hear you, don't put it on Facebook, because they're not on there. Can I just say that real quick? Whatever you're posting on Facebook, can I, whatever, whatever you think you're getting to the world on Facebook, it's your age and up. Just trust me on this, right? There's no younger people that are reading whatever your wisdom is on there. And I, I, that's not even sarcastic, that's just truth. But, but listen, we think, like, you have to actually go get in relationship with somebody. We have a false, like, social media has given us a false sense of something because I'm like, listen, I may have wisdom, but that wisdom only manifests when I get close enough to you to walk with you, to be in relationship with you. Not because I reposted or retweeted or said something on whatever. I actually have to go walk with you. I have to get close enough to you to be able to lay hands on you. But hear me on this. We, we can look around at a generation and say foolishness. I live in California. I think California may be the capital of foolishness right now. It may be, it may be the capital of foolishness. Jerry's got 100 acres and Lucas, I'm moving there. That's, if this whole thing goes bad, I, I know where I'm going. Lucas, Ohio. Population 560. So I'm, I'm going there. But, but I can't just look around at all the younger generation and go, unbelievable. What a, this is foolishness. This is crazy. You know what I got to do? I got to go walk with them because guess what? They need wisdom. Not yelled at them, not screamed at them, not posted. Like I need to go walk with them. I just want to tell the older generation, you have the wisdom they need. Do you not remember being young? I remember when I was youth pastor and I mainly only spoke to high schoolers, but I got invited to go to a junior high, middle school camp. So I'm at this camp and I'm trying, I tell stories to try to connect things in. So I'm sitting there going, I gotta think of some stories to connect with these young people, you know? So I just started going through my middle school years. And every story I could think of, I just stopped and thought, what was I thinking? Like, what was going through my head at that moment? One of them was, when I was probably in seventh grade, me and my friend, we had two friends in this neighborhood, Pete and Drew. And Pete lived, Peter lived kind of backed up to this 40 acres. It was awesome. It was feel, we'd go out there and play. And, and during the summer, we would just come, we were so bored, we'd just come up with games. So I remember one day we're in the field and we had this metal bat. We were just kind of hitting rocks in the field. And all of a sudden I stopped and said, fellas, I totally have a game I just thought of. And they're like, are you, what, 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 tell it, we wanna hear it. I said, okay, here it is. One of you is gonna take the bat and go stand over here with your back to me. And then I'm gonna be the pitcher and I'm gonna throw a rock over your head and then you're going to hit that rock as it's coming down in front of you. Both of them go, that sounds awesome. That's incredible. They're like, did you just come up with this? I just thought of it right now. I don't even know. I just, it just came to me. They're like, that sounds amazing. And Drew's like, can I be the first one to bat? I'm like, absolutely, Drew. We're for you. You're the first one. So Drew comes over here and Drew's like, oh man, it's gonna be so fun. And I, this is really a seventh grade. I'm like, I want my friend to succeed. So I'm looking around going, I better get a big enough rock. 
Like a small rock he might miss, but a big rock, there's just more mass to it. So I find the biggest rock I can. And then I'm also thinking like, I better make sure I get it high enough because it, I, I need him to have as much reaction time as possible, right? I care about my friend. I want my friend to succeed. I want him to be good at this game. So sure enough, man, I get the bigger rock I can and I chuck this rock. I mean, I'm just like, boom, you know, and Drew's over here just stoked. He's like. And sure enough, I mean, it just, bam, hits him right in the back of the head. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, you know, we need the older generation. Right? We need, we're like, hey, what's going on, guys? We, we thought of a game. Really? You know, going, you see that in the back of my head? Yeah, we tried that once, you know. Okay, boomer, stop trying to control me. But this is, I'm telling you, you have wisdom, but that wisdom is not given from a distance. It's given when I get up close and I walk with you. Covering wisdom, I need to get through these because I, I want to give you a real practical thing. Uh, identity. Let me just give you the last two and then I'm going to actually talk to you for saying about something. Identity. Can I just say this right now? We look at a generation it is that the, the war is identity right now. It's a generation, they, they have no idea. But here's the deal. It, it, is, it is parents' responsibility to speak identity into kids. This is, just if you look at Paul with Timothy, he's just constantly reminding him, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are. We cannot, I'm talking to the church right now, our responsibility is to come alongside, and I'm not just talking about teenagers, are you with me on this? Teenagers, young adults, young families, 20s, 30s, I'm not just talking about teenagers. That my job is to come alongside and speak identity to you, because, because courage and security are connected to identity. When I don't know who I am, I am insecure and lack courage. When I know who I am, I'm secure and have courage. There's a, uh, there's a sociologist, I think of early 1900s, he's considered the dean of sociology. His name's Charles Cooley. He's famous for a concept he came up with called the looking glass self. And the looking glass self-concept says that what you think about yourself, your self-esteem, your self-perception isn't as much dependent on what you think about yourself, but on what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. So, so they say that how you view yourself isn't actually, isn't actually really how you view yourself, but how you think the most important person views you. So it, it kind of works out in, like, this is why mothers are so important. Like mothers become, mothers and fathers, but mothers become that, you know, the most important person in that, in that little kid's life. Uh, Tony Capallo tells a story about his friend who he said, my friend could get an F in a class and come home to his mom. And his mom would say something like, it just shows you they don't know how to educate a genius at that school. <laughs> right, that's moms, right? It's mom goggles. It's like, you got an F, they just don't know how to educate geniuses at that school. That's all that is. And all of a sudden this kid's like, he got an F, but he believes he's a genius. Why does he believe he's a genius? Because the most important person in his life thinks he's a genius. You've got, you, you have got to be that voice in people's life that says, I, listen, the world may be telling you something, but let me tell you, like we become the conduit for God's voice speaking into the lives of people, telling them who they are, telling them who they are, telling them who they are. And we have an insecure generation because they don't know who they are. And guess whose responsibility is to speak into them who they are? 
courage. I don't, I'm not gonna get into this one, but, but Morde, Esther didn't even have the courage necessary to do what God had called her to do apart from Mordecai. We, we preach, if I die, die, but, but she didn't, that wasn't her first response. Mordecai goes, hey, go stand before the king. She's like, yeah, if I do that and he doesn't extend a scepter, I could, he could kill me, so I probably won't. And Mordecai sends word back to her and says, if you don't go do that, God will wipe you out, he'll wipe your family out, and he'll just raise up somebody else to do it. Then she says, okay, gather the people, fast for three days, I'm gonna go do this, and if I die, I die. I mean, how fascinating is this, that, that, that Esther didn't even have the courage necessary to do what God had placed her to do apart from Mordecai speaking into her life. We need courage to do what God's called us to do. You need, you need people that, whether it's having a healthy marriage, whether it's getting free, raising kids, starting a business, whatever, whatever it is. You need people that, when you're like, I don't wanna do that. You need people that come and say, if you don't, God will kill you. No, just, that's Old, that's old Testament. We're, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament believers. Let me just really practically, and then, and then we're gonna take communion together. But let me really practically just tell you this. A lot of people are just a little bit stuck on, I don't even know where to start. I mean, there's a generation that kind of acts like they don't need anybody else, and, and there's walls, and there's hurdles, and there's all this type of stuff. There's real divisions. There's real all this type of stuff. I'm gonna give you five things. Are you ready? I want you to write these down. Here's where to start. First, you've got to adopt. I'm not gonna belabor these points, so we won't be here all night. That's for Jerry's sake. Jerry made sure I wasn't gonna preach long. You've got to adopt. What I mean by that is, is you should be walking into your church community and saying, God, who are my assignments? Jesus makes an interesting statement. I mean, Jesus had 15,000 people on a hillside, and then they all left but the 12. And at the, and, and at the end of his time on the earth, Jesus prayed that he said this. He said, Father, I have not lost anyone you gave me. He lost a lot of people, but he didn't lose anybody that God gave him. And one of the things that I wanna know is this, God, who's my assignment? Who's my assignment? Now, now here's, here's the amazing thing, is that, is that I, I mean, I will be, there are a handful of people in my life. You cannot do this to everybody. You can't actually father or mother a ton of people, but I wanna know who my assignment is. I remember being in a room with a, with a, um, a worship leader that probably most of you would know, but I was in a room, I, I hadn't even met her yet, and she was leading worship for this little group of leaders, and I'm sitting there, and the Lord said, I want you to adopt her. Well, the minute the Lord speaks this to me, she's now on my radar. You're on my radar. And then here's the amazing thing, because in order to really pour into somebody's life, they have to give you permission. In other words, in order to really speak, so right now, this, this worship leader and her husband, they come to me for advice. I, I, I walk with them. I, I'm able to challenge them. That's all there. But, but it didn't start there because in order for that to happen, they ha she has to open her life to me. Uh, the, when, I, when I adopt somebody, the next step is not like, hey, can I give you some advice about all that you're doing with your life and what you should be doing and who you should definitely be voting for? Any way I could just jump in on that conversation? So the... 
a lot of people go because sometimes people think like discipleship is, is me giving you all the amazing wisdom I have. You know what I love about discipleship? I'm able to talk the whole time and just share all the stuff I know to these people. Like, that's not discipleship. Discipleship starts with two things, just encouragement and prayer. So it's this. We adopt. The next step is this. I am going to be the biggest encourager in your life. Because here's, here's the deal. I may need permission to speak into your life. I do not need permission to encourage you or pray for you. <laughs> this is what I believe. I don't need permission to encourage you, and I don't need permission to pray for you. You may, you, may not be want, you may not be asking me for advice on what I should, whatever else, but that's fine. The Lord has put you on my radar, and now here's what's about to happen. I am going to be the biggest encourager in your life. And I'm gonna, when I, and, and, and I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm, when I'm, when I'm, and this is, this will happen. Something will come, something will come out. Man, I loved it. Listen to it. So love what you're doing. You're so anointed. You just got such a great gift on your life. Uh, hey, listen, I just saw this thing. Encourage. It's this thing. And then I'm praying. I'm letting know. I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm not talking about like the little prayers we post on Instagram. I'm talking about actually praying. Right? And so, so, so somebody may be in your environment and you're just talking to them. They say, I got a job interview on Tuesday. So, so it's adopt, encourage, pray and say, I'm going to be praying for you. Tuesday. And then I, I set a reminder for myself. You know, Tuesday, 9 a.m., and, and I'm praying. I, I just get up. God, I just pray. Give him wisdom. Give him favor. Da, da, da. And then I'm going to check on you afterwards. Hey, how'd it go? I was praying for you. They say, man, I didn't get the job. Okay, well, now I'm going back to encouraging. You know what? God's got something for you. And I've seen this in my life so many times. When, when a door got closed, it's just because another one's going to open up. God has something for you. Trust God. And I'm just going to be speaking encouragement. This is the simplicity of what I'm talking about at some level. This isn't like, let me give you all the wisdom that I've shared in my life. It's that, it's that, here's how you start. Start asking God, God, who am I supposed to start pouring my life into? Start with your own kids. Can we start there? And, uh, um, but, but who is that in my community? And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the biggest encourager you know, and I'm going to encourage you. I'm gonna speak life over you. And then I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna let you know too. Hey, I was praying for you this morning. The Lord showed me something. Man, the Lord showed me this thing, and he showed me this thing. And, and, we're, and, and, and this is on that radar. But, he, but here's, the first, here's, the, here's the fourth thing, is give. I, I know that this is super practical tonight, but, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is the revolution that I think could happen in churches. Can you imagine if everybody over 40 in your church just began to walk into community and say, where's those under 40 that I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna adopt? You know that a lot, we don't always want people that come and give us their opinion all the times, but do you, do, you, do you know anybody in your life that's super encouraging, that prays for you, and is constantly trying to give to you that you're trying to get out of your life? This is honest. There's a handful of people in my life that every time I'm around them, I'm like, I am so encouraged. <laughs> I, and, and you just keep giving into my life. I, I want more of you, not less of you. So, so, so we adopt, we encourage, we pray, and, and we give. Practically, we give. Not all of you necessarily have a money to give, but I'm going to give. When you get on my radar, this is what will happen. That, that girl that I mentioned, she was getting married. She's a YWAMer, so, uh, you know, youth without any money. And she, <laughs> and she full on was like, hey, 
does anybody know a cheap person in Southern California? Because I can't. And she was wanting to find a hairstylist and a makeup artist who was super cheap because they didn't have much money. I saw it on Facebook, um, and I just got a hold of her. I said, hey, what are you needing? She said, well, I said, listen, you go get what you want to get. Don't go get like your, you know, your, 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 your friend's sisters, whatever that is. Like, what do you, go get that. We'll cover it. We'll pay for that. It's a small thing, but it, if they're going on a missions trip, be the first one to give. It, it, and it's not just money, but we're going like, how can I give? And then the, the, the fifth thing is this, and, and you will give them wisdom as you walk with them, and you will give them all that. But the fifth thing is this. So you've got to adopt, encourage, pray, give, lead. I remember Lou Engel, who is a massive influence in my life, when he was 50 years old, I remember him being up front and he said this, I may be 50, but you're gonna have to run hard to keep up with me. Right now, I'll begin to bring people just into prayer times. Say, come sit with me. I've got some young fathers to say, come. I want, you to, I, want, I want you to see how I pray over my kids. I want you to see how I take Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and I just take those apostolic prayers from Paul and I just pray them over my children. And you just begin to say, you lead. Go beyond, like, like let them get close to you and then go have a, and then go, it's, and go have a, go after a healthy marriage. Go after a passionate lifestyle for Jesus. Be the one that's up front worshiping. Be the one that brings your Bible. I used to sit next to, when I was in high school, 17 years old, I sat next to a lady named uh, Vera, Verda, it was a while ago. She must have been in her mid to late 80s, I mean crippled with, uh, crippled with arthritis, but I would sit next to her every Sunday. I'm 17 years old. I loved her. I'd sit next to her at church. And we'd be, we'd be worshiping, and this is back in all those integrity songs. And there'd be, you know, we'd be just worshiping. I'd have my hands up. And then, do you, I don't know if you remember the songs that there'd be like a reference to the devil. Satan, you know, walks around like a roaring lion. And I'd be just be in worship. I'd have my hands up. That line would come around. All of a sudden, Verda would just hit me. Whack with her little, her little, her little, her little like, hand. Whack. I'm like, what? Don't you raise your hand when it's about the devil. That's what she'd tell me. Don't you raise your hand when we're singing about the devil? I'm like, I'm sorry. Still to this day, I like him. I won't. If there's any song, I'm like, I wait for the line to be over, then I'm back in worship. Because, and, and just here is this like really passionate, loved Jesus there every Sunday, worshiped with all of her heart, was super committed to the cause of Christ. She was crippled, and, 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 but showed up, and it made a mark on my life as a 17-year-old. Go lead. The best thing you could do for a younger generation is allow them to is go walk with them, but then go run hard. Go run hard. It's not about whether you have a perfect marriage. Just make sure you're in pursuit of that. And let them see you going after God, getting healthy, growing in your word. Are you, are you tracking with me on this? Listen, I know this may seem simple, and I flew all the way out to Cleveland to just sit for a few minutes with you and say this. I believe that we have got to be a people that the older generation needs to say, we're going to go turn our hearts.
we are gonna begin to move towards, and there won't be any of us that haven't just prayed, God, who am I to adopt? Who am I to adopt? Because they need covering, and they need wisdom, and they need identity, and they need courage, and they need me, and this is what we do. And I may not know how to come and, and, and walk through all the Bible with you yet. I mean, this is like, I may not fully know how to address all the issues of sexuality or, or all the theological stuff. or I, I may not know what to do with all that. But I tell you what I do know what to do with is I know how to pray for you and encourage you and speak identity into you and give to you and, and show you at least me moving towards that thing. <laughs> Greatest joy in my life is that. Hands down. Stand up with me. Do we have communion somewhere? They're pass out communion real quick. We got a worship team that can come up here. I know that the worship team left when I was preaching. So if somebody could go get the worship team from a green room somewhere. Look at me making fun of you guys. That's horrible. Is somebody get, can, can you get me one somewhere? Sometimes I think we're in services where we feel inspired. I just, Andy Bird, I don't know if you know Andy Bird. We just did a podcast with Andy Bird. Andy Bird said, we have an over-inspired and under-activated church. I want you to feel inspired. You know what I really want you to do is go do this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what's really gonna change lives? You going... Is there anybody in my life that I'm doing that with? Is, is there people? Where am I actually just looking for those that God has given an assignment to me for? And just begin to pray into them. Before we take communion, we're going to take communion together generationally. I just want to ask if you're, if you're, over, if you're 40 or over. Oh, man, we're going to expose some people right now that, don't, that just turned 40. They don't want to raise their hand. If you're 40 and over, raise your hand real quick. Come on, there we go. Be bold, be bold. I love this already. Look at how many under 40s are in this room. Do you know how much I love that right now? Do you know how much I love that? Over 40, you got your work cut out. If you're around, keep your hand raised if you're 40 or over. If you're around them, will you just lay hands on them, stretch your hands out to them? I want you to do that. If you're, if you're 39 or under, I want you to find some of those people, just lay hands on them real quick. I wanna pray for you. 40 and up, can I just tell you how much? My heart is for revival. I wanna see a move of God. I am convinced, I'm convinced. Come on, listen, if you're under 39, you see people with their hands raised, just go find them, just lay hands on them for a second. And I just wanna say this, man, I pray that God would come and strengthen your life right now. I even, I just heard the Lord say that He's gonna come and He's gonna bring fresh wind in your life. I saw that the Lord was healing relationships, that He was canceling debt. I believe that God is going to come like He did to Moses and He is going to strengthen you right now. That you may have been through a season and you feel worn out, you feel tired, you feel a little bit beaten down, but I believe that you're about to step into a season where God is going to breathe fresh life into you. And can I just say this as a pastor and, and just as somebody leading in the church, we desperately need you strengthened in the body of Christ. We need you in the right position with your hands raised high. We need you in a place where the younger generation can come and just align themselves underneath you. And you may have been worn out and you may have been discouraged, but I believe that God is going to come and He's going to begin to breathe fresh in your life. I believe that God is going to come and He's going to strengthen you. 
And I just want to say for those young, that are in this younger generation right now, we just commit to praying for you as well. I just pray that the younger generation would even look at you and say, we need what you have. We need your covering and we need your, your you speaking identity and we need courage. Some of you in this room right now that are 40 and up, you need to receive this. This is the word of the Lord. God is going to come and strengthen you in this season. That he is, he is restoring relationships. I saw there are relationships that have taken a toll. Some of you have had the wind knocked out of you. Some of you feel on shaky ground, but God is going to come and he's going to strengthen. He's sending reinforcements to you in this season because you need to be in the right position, strengthened in this church. So we just bless you. And if you're, you can put your hand down. If you're 39 and under, I want you to raise your hand in this room. Can we just, older generation, you probably can't get around all of them, but just stretch your hands out to them. Can we just say this? We're going to be a generation that covers, encourages, prays, gives, adopts. We want to say that God has a call on your life, that you're an Esther, that you're a Joshua, that you're an Elisha, that you're a Timothy, that God's going to use you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to come through for you. And we just turn our, we turn our hearts to you. We're going to pray radical prayers over you. We're going to pray radical prayers over you. We're going to pray the prayers that Paul prayed, that God would open the eyes of your understanding, that you would know the riches of the call of God on your life according to his glory. Older generation, just take just a moment. We just bless you in the name of Jesus. We bless you in the name of Jesus. We believe in what God is doing in the generation, not just teenagers, 30s, 20s. We believe what God is doing. And we declare over you that the Spirit of God is stronger than the Spirit of this age. The Spirit of God is active and alive in your life. All right, I want us just really quickly, we're gonna take this together as a church family, as generations. I want us to come and just get the bread out as we come with the elements. Together, it is Mordecai's fathering Esther's save nations. It's Moses walking with Joshua that entered promised lands. Elijah's pouring into Elisha's. Let's see Jezebel's dethroned. And so Jesus, we come, even just as a statement today, we're going to go to war against division. John 17, that we would be one. Lord, you died on the cross so that we would be one, and we're going to go to war against division. We're going to break that spirit of independence that's in the younger generation and we're going to break that spirit of independence that's in the older generation. We choose to humble ourselves. And we turn our hearts towards each other. And Jesus, we come in remembrance tonight and we just, we recognize and remember the broken body of Christ. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your broken body. Thank you that you were broken so that we could be whole. Thank you that you were broken for the forgiveness of sins. 
Some of you in this room tonight, you need to receive that Jesus was broken, not just for your forgiveness of sins, so that the shame of that would no longer have a hold on your life. I believe that tonight God wants to break shame off of people. Even as we take communion right now, that the power of shame would be broken off of you because of the broken body of Jesus. And we just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body. We come tonight, old and young, we come tonight as generations, and we just say, thank you for your broken body, Jesus. We take in remembrance. Go ahead and take the bread. come with the, the blood of Jesus. We say thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you that you were beaten and bruised. You spilled blood. We just declare healing in this room tonight. Father, we recognize that this blood of your son, Jesus, washes us clean and heals us. Thank you that we stand righteous before you because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you're emptied, that we would be filled. I just felt like, I don't know why, I just felt like we were to take communion tonight. And we just take communion as one. We take communion as Esther's and we take communion as Mordecai's. We take communion as Moses. We take communion as Joshua's. And God, I just pray that you would release something in the season ahead for this church of the generations truly walking together and seeing great impact. We just pray for healing as well. We just thank you for your blood. You can take it. I don't know where you're supposed to put them, but somewhere. We're going to dismiss in just a second. I'm going to turn this over. Can we just turn our hearts just to the Lord just for a moment? say, God, we just pray that you would move. Lord, we just pray out of this season, God, that there'd be a fresh wind that begins to blow. You've burned away all of the, burned away all of the, the things that didn't matter. You've left what matters is what remains. And, we just pray that you would begin to blow in this season, that there would be a fresh wind. We just declare again, holiness unto the Lord, marking this place. Raise up fathers and mothers, God. Raise up fathers and mothers. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.